the value of a chaotic event is to really get you to pay attention to what is in fact true. Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Chad Hawk, and I am with Matt Dowd, and we are Renegade Atlas, charting a new path for your life. So today, we're continuing on the whole um, process we've been looking at, uh, created to be wise. We've covered created to be wealthy, created to be healthy, and now we're created to be wise. And just as a side note, Matt, I think it's no mistake that we've covered created to be wealthy and healthy before the world events have occurred the way they have. I think God had something really special in store for that. Um, The timing has been yeah. Just amazing. Interesting. Divine. Yeah. Divine. I think divine yeah. is absolutely right. Um, today, we're going to be exploring what it means to be created to be wise at times when the world can be under a little stress or perhaps chaos could even be a way of interpreting current events. Yeah. And we may not necessarily talk about current events, but how we handle, comport, um, throw ourselves at the mercy of, of our Lord and our Savior to create wisdom in our life and ways to enhance that and, and push into it because we are created to be wise. We really are. For sure. So Matt, why don't you introduce our special guest that we have today? <laughs> yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, so we're really excited to have Jamie Winship on the show today. Um, I'm going to give him both a personal and a professional introduction. So yeah. I'll start with the professional here. So after decades of work in areas of the world with the highest levels of conflict, Jamie has learned what it takes for individuals to discover the transformative power of living fearlessly in their true identity. Okay. He's formerly a police officer in the Washington DC area. Then he was given a unique opportunity to work in Southeast Asia, um, earned a master's degree and moved to a little Island in Indonesia, and then spent the next 25 years in various areas of the Muslim world, including the middle East. Okay. And uh, now he's the co-founder with his wife, uh, um, Donna, of Identity Exchange, which is a training and consulting company on mission to help transform communities operating in health, wellness, and peace. So what he does is very much in line with what we're talking about these days, right? On a personal note, Jamie is, (laughs) I described, he's the voice that God used to bring me back to himself. So at a time in my life when I was in a lot of chaos and didn't really know it, um, I heard Jamie speak and it sort of clicked the light bulb on for me and started me down a whole different journey, which has led me to where I'm at now. That's a story for another day, but I just say that to iterate that I hold him in very high regard. We've become friends. We've actually started working together. Um, I do some work with Identity Exchange as well. So it's been fun to get to know him, get to work together, and it's awesome to have you on the show today, Jamie. Welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Well, so I've been tracking with you what you've been talking about these days, you know, in light of the situation we're in. Um, this is coronavirus era, right? We're in social distancing and isolation. And, uh, you know, this is a podcast, so people might be listening to this episode a year from now or five years from now or whatever. Right. We're recording this during this really unique time in our world's history, right? And I, this type of thing has happened before, but it hasn't really happened like this in any of our lifetime. No. Right. No, of course not. Yeah. It's a totally unique situation for us. So um, I've been following Jamie and what you've been talking about in terms of dealing with a chaotic situation and really yeah. the opportunity it, it creates. That's kind of what we want to talk about today is how to take advantage of it, what type of things to be thinking about, what type of processes and questions to ask that we can be going through to really get a lot of benefit out of this. Yeah. So yeah, I guess, great. you know, go ahead and just like jump in. Um, what, is, what has been on your mind? You know, what have you been teaching people and sharing and talking about these days? Well, yeah, like sort of generally speaking is um, what do you do? What do we do as humans when the system that we rely on basically unravels on us? And it's, and uh, it's interesting because, you know, even as I, I like, I think here in Seattle, we're in week three of, or of, you know, don't go outside kind of thing. But um, when you think back like 21 days ago or 25 days ago, it was, this wasn't even like on the map. So it was sort of was, you know, like there's something happening somewhere, right. but 
like a good American, I don't care. It's not in my neighborhood. So, <laughs> um, but, and then, and then now how dramatically it's affected everything. Um, and it's a virus, you know, it's just a little virus that started in a place far, far away and, and how it's created these huge variations in the entire planet, regardless of, you know, race, religion, economic status is just throwing the whole system out of whack. And so, um, so this is, this makes me think of the chaos theory is what it is exactly how I started thinking about it. It's like interesting, you know, sort of the butterfly effect because the chaos theory was developed by a, a meteorologist studying weather, weather patterns in an algorithm. And he had the famous statement that, a, a of the flap of a butterfly's wings in China, funny that he said that could create a hurricane in another part of the world like that's the effect of something that small and then the whole chaos theory idea comes out of it that one little variation in a system can create huge change in the system um, and that's always been the way that's always been true that's uh, sort of the, the the chaos theory the idea that some a small event can create huge chaos has always been true what hasn't always been true is our belief that chaos can affect us like that's the delusion that we live in is that we've built this world that we think is so stable and reliable because we can control it and um, like stock markets and jobs and economies and really what the value of a chaotic event is to really get you to pay attention to what is in fact true. Like what is in fact stability? What is it, what, what can we really control? Um, because if our greatest fear is that we're not in control, well, guess what? You've never been in control. So right. what you're living in is basically false. So that's the, so that's the value of, of a chaotic situation if you use the chaotic situation for innovation and creativity and you don't use the chaotic situation um, to to react in fear and uh, and those sorts of things that produce that, that just make it, it, it basically just a tragedy the value of any kind of suffering is that you learn from it that it wakes you up and you learn from it that that if, if you don't learn from suffering or chaotic, then it just becomes a tragedy. You just resist it the whole way through, and and in the end, it'll you'll lose. But uh, so I see this, you know, and we're going to suffer. We're economically, we're like we were started suffering day one of this thing. We are going to suffer, but so in the suffering, what can we learn? What can we do? And it produces dramatically new ways of thinking about things which I find to be super valuable. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to get into a little bit of like how that works here in a minute. Would you talk about fear for a second? Like, because I think there's these two camps, you know, well, we should really be afraid of this thing and it should govern how we think and act and everything. And then there's the other camps like, this is not a big deal. We're, make, we're way overblowing it. We should just live our lives normally. Could you talk about like what the value of fear is? I think it, it gets you know, polarized to one or the other. Um, yeah. So, so why is fear valuable? How do you know, how does it work for us? And then what's, you know, how do we move on from it? Yeah. So I think if I could say it simply, I would say fear as a tool is incredibly valuable as a tool. It's, it, it's, it's obviously uh, valuable to the development of humanity and survival and all that fear as an identity is deadly. It's absolute fear as a decision maker um, is deadly fear as a, as a warning signal, a warning light invaluable. So um, that's the kind of bottom line on it. So, so if I'm, if, so when the, the value of fear is fear is, you know, on an evolutionary scale, fear is, is protecting my life. It's warning me that, that something is dangerous, it's gonna hurt me, you know, and I, I've, um, humans are only born with, with two fears. We have two innate fears as humans. One is the fear of falling and the other is the fear of loud noises. So an infant already has a, with no consciousness really, a built-in sense of fear of falling and loud noises. Um, all other fear is learned. So we, so other than the survival fears, those basic ones, 
all other fears are taught by the culture that we're in and the society that we're in. So, um, so in a, in a modern civilization where we're not afraid of, you know, um, sort of nature anymore, we are still fearful of things. Things still produce fear in us. And so the value of fear is that fear warns you that what you're about to do or think or conclude is dangerous, that it's harmful to you. So if, if for example, if, if I'm having a conversation with my wife and I start to view my wife as my enemy, I become fearful. It produces fear in me. The fear isn't that my wife is my enemy. That's not true. The fear is that I'm going to start to believe that she is. That's the danger because it will produce separation uh, between us, which will cause harm. And so the fear, just like you're going to walk off a cliff, you're going to walk off a cliff, you're going to walk off a cliff. That's what fear is saying. It's also saying in my decision-making process, you're about to make a decision based on something that's absolutely false. That's fear, trying to wake you up to the false thing that you believe. As soon as you acknowledge the fear and say, oh yeah, wait a second, my wife's not my enemy, the fear's gone. It's, abs it's done. It did its job. It's gone. It doesn't need to be there anymore. And you thank fear and I'm grateful for you. But if fear is how it becomes the way I think about everything, it becomes my op operating mode of thinking, it produces stagnation and death is what it produces. So everything's fight or flight, self-protection, self-promotion, self-protection, self-promotion. If fear is out of control, if I'm not using fear as the beautiful tool that it is to warn me about new ways to think, to warn me that what I'm thinking currently is destructive in some form or fashion. So I'm going to make uh, an analogy that goes into how our bodies are made, are created. And that is in the sympathetic state, which is the fight or flight state, that is a catabolic state. That is a destructive state. We can only stay in for so long, which is exactly what you were just saying, Jamie. Right, exactly. And so when a person is in that, there's always a destructive course that's occurring inside, physiologically, in your body. You're actually living less in that state based on number of years because that is a degradatory state of physiology. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. And so in limited, in limited doses, it's like stress. It has a value. Right. It's like get ready for the war. Here right. it comes. But it immediately needs to go away when it's, you know, when that's over. Um, yep. But we're laying in bed at night, telling our bodies, you know, psychologically, we're telling our bodies we're at war. We're in a, we're in a desperate state of conflict and and yeah and it poisons us You're, yeah i love that that's exactly right and yeah. the opposite of that is that parasympathetic state which pushes pushes us into an anabolic or rest digest restore renew state yes. which is when when you're saying things about fear there when you resolve fear your body innately shifts to that model right yeah exactly yeah, yeah. yep Mm -hmm. You also said something that's super, I think it's really important that is really would be easy for listeners or us to just kind of breeze right by, which is the idea that you're talking about where um, the fear trigger in us is telling us that we're about to believe something that's not true. Yeah. Can we just like, does that, I'm, I'm going to ask you, Dr. Hawk, does that make sense to you? Like, you know, does that register? I just feel like that one, it's a kind of a complex idea. Yeah, I think what the way you said it it uh jamie it becomes self-evident when you say that and you think about what you just said matt if, if for a moment we can step back from the way we normally think and register it inside our heads and let it sink down into our hearts there's right. a lot of peace that comes from it that's mm -hmm. right by being able to identify truth yes. versus untruth right yes the t if you're if the, if you run into a tiger in the woods you have to escape the tiger for that moment but right. after you've escaped it you can't fear the tiger anymore if you go on living in fear of the tiger you're going to die afraid of something that's no longer present right exactly that's right yeah so in that analogy then would the the like our modern day equivalent are we fearing the tiger even though there is no tiger yeah <laughs> is that kind that's of what's right. happening <laughs> Yeah, and you really want to get deep in what when we fear the tiger, what are we actually afraid of? Is then you can get really deep in those. What what is the actual fear? 
But uh, just like the doctor's saying, the ability to put space between you and the fear and don't let the fear drive you, but you're actually using the fear. It's like, then you're, then you're like, what am I afraid of? Why am I? And the fear is doing its job. It's telling you, wait, uh-huh. a- ask a question about this. What's going on here? And then you can, then you can shift out of that state. Yeah. Beautiful. Into the state of, Oh, Hmm. I need to think this is true. This is true. This is not true. It's the old, it's the old idea of, um, so that at the most basic level of the human is the, is the idea of you want, you want to relate, you want to live in relation to other things. That's our most basic level. And so it's like the little kid or, or the adult that sees a dog. Well, immediately you want to, because I'm a human that lives in relation to things, I, I want to have some sort of relation with the dog. Then, then it goes up the elevator, so to speak, into the amygdala. It's like, well, what do we know about dogs so far? And then it's like, remember the dog's bite. There it is, dog's bite. Now, if that's the end of the process, you'll never, ever come in contact with a dog. But if, we, if that thought is allowed to progress, okay, okay, yeah, we did get bit by a dog once, but is this a different scenario? Then our brain can progress to a level of, okay, let's, then, then let's now, in what way do we want to go and connect with the dog based on what we've learned and all the way up into, into the prefrontal cortex, like, oh, not all dogs are the, not all dogs are the same. You know, there's different dogs. And now my fear has helped me figure out, wow, you're afraid of every single dog out there. Why? Uh-huh. And it becomes valuable. So, and, and then you can take this in any kind of relational scenario that you're in. You know, there's a boss. Oh no, you know that. And so you can use it to your advantage all the time as at, by questioning it, not just letting, you know, as, as I forget, Tole said, don't let your mind think you, you think your mind, you, you, you navigate. Don't let just the fear run you. Okay. Well, so then on that idea, what are the questions to be asking, right? Like whether you're in the moment or whether you're sitting outside of it, just kind of want thinking proactively. Right. Yeah. So then it's to, to, to ask the question, to question the fear, right? So I have a response to something, say, I'm going to acknowledge the fear. So it's all about truth telling, always truth telling. Okay. I'm afraid. Like that's a big one. Just, okay. I'm afraid right now. What am I afraid of? Where, what's the fear sourced in? What's it pointing to? Then you have now, now you're using the fear rather than letting the fear just drive you. So let me, I'll give you an extreme example of this. So, so when we lived lots of examples, because it's funny to me that I'm in a, you know, a quarantine state, which means, which means really, I, you know, I can go outside and do everything and all that, but, but I'm a limited in some capacity. Um, but when we lived, when we were sent to work in Baghdad, so we're in the middle of a war zone, you can't go outside because you're going to get killed. You know, you're going to get shot or kidnapped or something like that. So it's a much more intense idea of, of like you're restricted. Um, so if you sit in your house in that scenario in fear all the time, you, you will die there. It'll just eat you alive. But so the, so we weren't afraid there. It was, but like if we had to go out and do something, you know, outside of our, wherever we were felt protected, our fear is just warning us to be alert, pay attention, super pay attention. Who is that? And then same process in your mind. It's like, who is that? That's, you know, but then, but then our, you know, our senior part of our team was all killed in one day and we had a, a, a senior team and a new team, a rookie team, the senior team were all killed, come back to the young people on the team, and they're in fear, great fear. Sure. And so what we did with them is we, okay, let's talk about what the fear is. What are you afraid of? And like, and just letting them speak it out and put, put the fear out here so we can look at it. What's the fear of? What, what is fear telling us? And use it. And in 48 hours, they had, they had used the fear, worked through it, and let it go like that. And, they, and to this day, they're all still in the region. None of them left. 
So the fear was valuable in helping them identify what are we going to start to believe that's true and what are we going to start to believe that's not true, that we're all going to die here. Not true. And fear is warning you. If you start believing that you're all going to die here, we will die here. So the fear is like a mirror. It's super, it's super helpful. So it's, it's just questioning. What is, I'm afraid. What am I afraid of? What am I afraid of? And where did, where's the first time I learned to be afraid of that thing? Is it, is it accurate? Is it true? Was it true when I first learned to be afraid of whatever it is I'm afraid of in the present tense? And so once you start to work in this process, the fear moves away because now you're working through the actual, what's the real scenario, what's the truth about the situation I am? Am I a victim in this situation? Am I powerless in this situation? May I ask uh, a follow-up question to that yeah. regarding um, truth? How One of the interesting things that's come about is, especially right now during this time, is how do I know what's true? So when you say we have to go back to the truth of the situation or the circumstances or the event, what is a way that people can learn to know what truth is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially, so again, especially if they've never been exposed to it in their life. Yeah, that's, that's, that's great. Yeah, so, um, so truth, just from a philosophical standpoint, my opinion here, truth always liberates truth always liberates and and you and you said from to the parasympathetic right truth truth liberates which moves us towards joy so for the human joy is the highest level of human creativity possible is joy so hold on to that truth so we're just talking to these professional athletes and we were asking them these are olympic medalists and now they're in other professional sports And we were asking them when you, so you've committed your entire life to this one event. Since you were a little kid, you've sacrificed all these things in your life for this one event, this one time in your life, you get, you get into the event, you win the medal, you're standing on the platform, what's going through your mind? And they said, the majority of them said, this is it. (laughs) This is (laughs) it. Yeah. Yeah. This is my, this is. 17 years of my life sacrificing playing outside with my friends all of that for this metal thing hanging around my neck and so so then 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 they go into a profession professional athletics and we were asking them what's the main emotion you've won the medal now you're a professional athlete what's the main emotion that drives you in the game and they said all of them fear fear and anger fear and anger okay so so are they so are they playing the game in truth (laughs) like are they truly playing the game they're not it's not true what they're doing and so so i asked them when's the last time you played the game with joy and they had to think but most of them were like yeah 10 years old seven years old when we first did it we had joy and they were playing in truth they were playing the game because it was a part of who they are but then they switched to playing the game to get identity they were getting identity instead of bringing identity to the game they were getting identity from the game and as soon as they started doing that they lost their joy right so what is true what is true, what the things that are true, and, 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 and this is what Jesus says, you shall know and experience the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's what the truth does. It sets us free. So fear, back to fear again. So fear is warning us that we're going to proceed into something that's not true. It doesn't produce joy. It won't set you free. It's going to have, it's going to, it's going to hurt you. It's going to destroy you kind of thing. So how, so when we're, when we're saying to my, asking to our team, okay, what do you, in your fear, what do you believe to be true? We're going to die. That's their belief. We're going to die. That's, that's now our truth that 
and there's nothing we can do about it. We're gonna die because based on these facts. So that means what's the identity you have in the scenario that you're in? I am powerless. I am powerless. Okay, so, but, but you have to learn that you're powerless. Someone had to teach you scenarios to recognize that in this scenario, you are powerless. Otherwise, you wouldn't come up with that. You would, you would be in scenarios that are challenging. You'd be in scenarios that are, um, that are, that are kind of death-defying, but you wouldn't go in going, I'm just powerless. You had to learn that. And so when we're, when we're using the fear, the fear is warning you, you're, beginning, you're gonna start engaging in the belief that what's true about you is that you're powerless. So then, okay, so then, thank you, fear. Now we're gonna ask this question. Where is the first time in my life I learned I was powerless? What was the scenario? And so we're gonna go back into that scenario and then we make them tell us the scenario where you learned you're gonna be powerless. And it's, it's this, usually a scenario like I didn't get picked for the kickball team. <laughs> usually that kind of thing. And there was nothing I could do about it. So I'm powerless. So anytime I'm in a situation where I, I'm not in control, the opposite of me not being in control is I'm powerless. That's false. That's a false belief. And so when you understand the truth of you weren't powerless in that situation, what's the truth? Um, then, it's, it, then the truth sets them free. It's like, are we powerless in Baghdad because we're in a war zone and our team got killed? Does that mean we're powerless? No, it does not. In fact, nobody has that kind of, no one has power over you unless you give it to them, unless you acquiesce it to them. Otherwise, you are alive and free. That then they move back into, oh, now what do we do in the scenario that we're in if we're alive and free? Now, how do we live inside a war zone as alive and free people? And that's when they became incredibly creative on how to live in that scenario. Rather than sitting in the house going, we got to get out of here, we got to get out of here, we got to get out of here, like that. So that's a long answer for that, but. Well, no, that's cool. So then it's almost like the, it's, um, it's not like bravery or recklessness is the opposite of fear. It's this peaceful, but creativity. Yes, right? exactly. That's, yeah. Right. In fact, what got, you know, I don't want to get into all the details, but what got our other team killed was the lead guy trying to prove he was brave. Mm -hmm. We didn't want, we don't need brave people. We need people who are courageous, encouraged, joyful in their true identity, doing what they do. We don't need people driving around trying to prove they're brave because then, as you're saying, it's really, and if you ask the brave person why they're doing it, it's because they're afraid we don't think they're courageous. That's their motivation, fear. So I'm going to prove I'm brave. Why? Because I'm afraid you don't think I'm brave. There you go. There it is. There's the lie. So it's courageousness is very calm and peaceful and calculating about what you're in and how we're going to handle it, but it won't run away from it necessarily. Courageousness it, is like, it's like a resolve that comes from the inside, not something you prove to anyone else. Right. It's exactly. a, it's a, it's a stand against something that you know isn't true. Right. Absolutely. And it doesn't have to be loud. It's mostly not. It's, it's, it's rather quiet. It's joyful. Um, yeah. And all the great, all the great words about love, even in Corinthians, it doesn't seek its own. It doesn't count wrongs against it. It doesn't have to. It's not afraid of any of that. And when I do start counting wrongs against me, fear comes up going, I'm warning you, this is going to hurt you. If you start counting their wrongs against you, it's going to hurt you. That's the value of fear right there. But we don't, we won't use it that way. It's our, it's our problem is that we don't use it. We self-protect and self-promote. Fear comes up, we self-protect and self-promote. Instead of using the fear, thanking the fear and letting it go back to rest. Okay, so yeah, this is awesome stuff. Um, so the idea that's been on my mind quite a bit lately is this idea of like sacrifice and that Jesus' actual invitation to us is just to die, but, but also to live. I mean, so can you sort of draw the parallel between this fear and self-protection, self-promotion 
um, and the Jesus invitation to die and how that brings life. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, you know, that beautiful word kenosis from Philippians talking about Jesus who didn't consider heaven something to be grasped, but emptied himself. Right. So there's, so there's, as we're saying about fear to empty yourself uh, for the benefit of another is the most courageous thing a human can do. It is the most, you know, lay down your life for, for someone else is hugely courageous. So it's this self-emptying identity, this self-emptying lifestyle that's based on other, other focused, unconditional, self-sacrificial love. That's what it is. That's the self-emptying life. It's, it's incredibly courageous. It's very difficult to find. Um, people won't even do it in a conversation. They won't even sacrifice a conversation. They, I got to win. I have to win it. So, and, and then we know. So hold on to that for a second. And then we look out into reality, into nature. And the whole system is based on self-sacrificial love for the next generation of whatever the species is. So Jesus says that if a seed won't die, we're not going to have the next generation. So the very powerful statement that Christians hate to talk about is he who seeks to save his own life will lose it. That's the promise from God, but it's not a promise like you put on a coffee cup or a poster because we don't like it, but it is a, it's a guarantee. If your goal is to save your own life, you're going to lose it. But, but if we're willing to give up our life for another, we gain it. So it's a very, it's kind of a simple principle, but we're, it scares us because it means I just got to go out and kill myself somehow, which isn't what it is. Right. But it's this, it's this, I love it. It's this other focused, unconditional, self-sacrificial love. It's it, it, in, in love, Colossians, esteeming others is better than ourselves. It's that beautiful thing. You, you, and so when you have a, a this thing like COVID, you watch people go and hoard as much toilet paper as they can. Like that, there you go. There is self-protection and self-promotion. It's not like I'm going to go, I, I'm, I think I can buy one roll and see how long I can go and be creative. It's like, nope, I got to get as much as I can for my family right now. And I don't care what happens to the rest of the neighborhood. That's the counter to it. So chaos, crisis, as they say, doesn't make a person, it reveals a person. So then we get to see what our true character is when our world unravels around us. And you, uh, who are you interested in most? If I, I, I like to think of this as the hubris of humanity. Um, we all have this in us. It's all, yes. it's part of our DNA. It's how much have we been able to release or let go of or, or, um, be free from versus let us control or uh, it controls us, our fear, our pride, our ego takes center stage. And then we, we motivate it on forward. That's right. Absolutely. And this is the value as you're saying of, of chaos or, or crisis is it lets us look in a mirror. <laughs> it holds a mirror right up to our face uh, you know, and it was interesting because yesterday, you know, in Seattle, they, they've said, now you, you got to wear a mask pretty much all the time. Well, you know, of course, all the masks are gone. Of course, <laughs> they're long gone. So I don't know how they're going to do this. And so I, Don and I were just, my wife and I were just talking about it. Like, well, let's say, okay, so we want to comply. We want to be healthy. We've got to go to Costco. We don't have a mask. Can we, we can, you know, so we're looking at how do you make them and these aren't effective. And then I, I get on a, I'm, texting with my landlord um this woman that's the our landlord and out of the blue she goes hey do you guys need any mask i have i have she's an acupuncturist and she's like i have masks and it's like god's saying i can bring masks i think jesus was trying to tell the disciples this all the time like i can bring masks from anywhere you don't have to figure right. out how to hoard masks like I can do it. And it was, it was, it was beautiful. Um, just reminder of the Lord. It's like, wow. He can, if he, can he feed 5,000 people? Yeah. Can he bring a mask? Can he, you know, produce a mask? Like that kind of thing. It's like, this is a fascinating time to learn that kind of stuff about God. Is that real? Is that true stuff? 
Is it not true? Do we just say it on Sunday, but we don't really believe it? These are, this is a challenge of, and the benefit of crisis and chaos. Yeah. I, I mean, I love that idea. Like how real is this stuff? Do we really live like we actually believe it? You right. know, the, the whole like seek first the kingdom and everything you need will be given to you. That's right. Can we actually live that out? This is a good opportunity to, to test it, I guess. Right. Yeah. You know, and another good, and this is the value of confession or truth telling is this is a good time to go to God and say, you know what? I don't believe this about you. Like mm-hmm. this is a great time to tell the truth. Here's truth again that will set you free. I, I, I actually, you know, and the same thing. We, you know, because we lived in such so many conflict zones, the question was, you know, if you're going to move your kids inside of a war zone without some kind of military protection, which we never had, then is God strong enough to protect your kids? if you intentionally move them into a war zone or is God like, I can only protect your kids if you have them, you know, on the right side of the, uh, of I-5 in Washington state, you know, or, or can he protect them anywhere where he asked you to live? And so this is a good time to say to God or to ask God, do I really believe you? This like, do I really believe this stuff? And, or to say to God, I don't, I show me, I don't believe that you're, what I say you are. So show me in this chaotic situation um, that you're, that you're real, that you're true. And then repentance is then believing the new thing, trans having your mind transformed so that when we come out of this chaotic event, which we will, that you've used it for transformation and not, you just weathered it. You know, or you just gritted your teeth and self-protected and self-promoted through it, then it's a way it's wasted. So maybe you could speak to people who are listening to this at this time when perhaps they have lost their job or they are um, not sure where they're going to get their next roll of toilet paper. Or they've lost a loved one <laughs> yeah. from illness. Yeah. Or the illness, huh? um, uh, they're they're they have to live their lives in in this state of chaos and they don't they've never had to do this because things have always been in order things have always been taken care of they've always been able to keep it just good enough to hold it together what are the right. words truth to speak to those people at this time yeah i mean i i you know it's like if we could kind of cut to the chase because we've been having these conversations on these live things we've been doing is the, the the beautiful thing about in truth in a truth telling relationship with a God who is love that's important. Um, if you're if you're in a relationship with a God who's mad at you, this is different. So, um, but I'm mm. advocating the God whose only descriptor in Scripture in His essence is love. God is love. God is spirit. That's it. Um, so the, the, the others are characteristics, but God in his essence is love. And so if I can go to the God of love and say, um, I'm going to confess to you or truth tell to you my absolute greatest fear. We know what the greatest fear of humanity is. It's what Jesus came to deal with. It's death. Like that's what we're afraid of is death. Death at any level of anything, it horrifies us. So death of a loved one terrifying even probably more terrifying than my own death because the death of a loved one means i have to pay for their death i have to mm-hmm. endure their death that's you have to fair. go through the grief right, right. you're you lose. Right. they they kind of win <laughs> right. so i want to make a big distinction between grief and sadness which is a god emotion and very beautiful and needs to be walked through jesus crying of weeping over jerusalem is grief it's beautiful He's sad because they wouldn't receive what he was offering them in life. And in choosing, they were choosing separation over life and he wept over it. He grieved over it. That's okay. We need to go through grief. That's different than thinking God let me down that, or God is punishing me by killing or taking one of my relatives or loved ones. So sadness. Yeah, we have to embrace it. And it's based in love. And we need to embrace it and walk through it and missing the person, all of that beauty. That's different than looking at a scenario like we lost, like that, we lost that game. That one's over. 
God, God didn't win. Nobody won. The whole thing was just a big loss. This is false. This should terrify us, this kind of thinking. And so when, when we experience tragedy, loss of a job or income or a loved one, again, it's a great chance to go to God. Don't separate from God. Run to God and say, God, this is what I now believe about you. Ultimately, it's what you believe about God. Did I believe now that you, and I've had this conversation several times in the last 10 days, you didn't protect me. You didn't protect me. That's what this means. Not only do I miss my loved one, you didn't protect me. Well, because I can say, well, what about the loved one? They're gone. That doesn't matter. He didn't protect me. <laughs> it's like, it's about me. You didn't protect me, which means you don't love me, right? So that's the great, great lie right there. Because um, perfect, so we know that perfect love casts out all fear. So when I'm afraid, the depth, the real deep thing of the fear is I am unloved. I am not worth protecting. Either you're not strong enough or you didn't care enough to protect me. And that's ultimately what we want to get to is that is we believe the truth we believe is that God doesn't really, really love me. And God can't, he can protect me in okay times when I don't need him. But when I really need him, he's capricious. Um, I don't know what makes God work. I don't know who God protects and when. And so I'm really, I'm ultimately unprotected. That's the depth. That's the depth of the human fear right there. So Hebrews two talks about it, how Jesus came, God became human in order to go inside of death and blow it up from the inside out. So he took away the power of death from the one who holds the power of death, who is the devil. And in so doing, he took away the burden of the fear of death, not just death. Death is one thing, but it's the fear of death that hurts us. Once you die, pretty much, right. but the, but the anticipating death, trying to figure out death um, is that, that terrifies us. And so the death of a job, the death of an income, the death of the stock market, the death of my relative, those are all deaths that are causing me harm that are produced, that are all losses, nothing good about any of them. And it's because I'm unloved and unprotected. That's the, the human horror story. The and thing the is none of it's true. Yeah. But it is our horror story, yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah, it does make sense. Um, what do you say to the person who's having a really, because I've encountered this too with conversations I've been having, like the anger, the unforgiveness that the person is holding is directed at God and they have a really hard time saying that out loud, admitting it, and especially saying it to him. I'm like, yeah. you got to tell God exactly how you feel about him even if it's the type of thing that you say that you think you're going to get smitten with lightning right after you say it. Right. That's so how do you help people do that? Like how do you encourage people to actually get to that point where they can speak the actual truth to God? I, I think, that, yeah, I think thank, that's a great question because that's ultimately what we have to get to is our view of God. That's ultimately what everything comes down to. So whenever I'm doing any kind of negative emotion work with a person, it's always like, you know, we're always going backward. And then it's like, what is, okay, what does that say you believe about God? And that's where people go. They don't want to say, right. They don't want to go to that place because they, um, but you do, but God already obviously already knows. So you want to tell the truth to God, uh, what you really believe about God, which is, which shows the levels of falsehood that we live in. Right. Even our relationship with God is built on these, very deep false and God's always wants them revealed and suffering is what brings out the truth if we'll do it. So, so I am, um, I have, there's two uh, people I've been working with a lot closely lately. Um, one of them and both of them on the issue of personal tragedy that's occurred to them and how they're handling it. And one, one of them, their struggle is they're ashamed that they're afraid to die. They're ashamed that they're afraid to die. So, so 
they, they're afraid to go to God and say, I'm afraid to die because I'm a believer and I know the Bible and I should already believe that it's a, that I shouldn't be afraid to die, but I am, which makes me ashamed, which makes me do what Adam and Eve do and hide and try and cover my shame like it's okay, right? But that isn't what God wants. God keeps coming to this person and saying, where are you? What are you doing? Why are you hiding? So it's, it's to come out and truth tell to God that I'm ashamed to say that I'm afraid to die. I'm, there's the confession, right? And then God, what do you want me to know about? What do you want me to know about being ashamed of being afraid to die? And then listening, it's way better to do this with another person with you so you can verbalize what God is saying to you. So that's one thing. But the, the other person I'm talking to is so angry at God, they can't approach, they won't approach God. This is the beauty of Jesus. This is the beautiful part of the Trinity. She loves Jesus. So what we're doing together is she's telling Jesus what she thinks about God, right? Because okay. Jesus is our advocate before the Father, right? And so she's able to say to Jesus, I don't understand why God allowed the things to happen. This woman has had an awful, tragic life. And so she's telling Jesus, and Jesus is commiserating with her about the cross, the same thing. He's saying, I understand. I understand. It was this way going to the cross. So it's the same kind of, and Jesus is explaining to her the love of the Father. So one is just going directly to God and saying, God, I'm mad at you because of this, this, and this. What do you say? Help me in my unbelief. And then the other person is, is talking to Jesus on her way to the Father. And it's really been beautiful to her because Jesus keeps walking her closer and closer to God because she's understanding the heart of God through the incarnation of Jesus, who is the exact representation of the invisible God. The other person has the capacity just to go straight to God, and which they're doing. So either way is really beautiful, but it's all built on truth-telling, truth-telling, not complaining, just calling out different. Yeah. Right, right. Okay, I've got a really important question for you now. Have you ever tried Shenandoah Joe coffee? <laughs> so uh, we got to plug our sponsor here, our awesome sponsor, Shenandoah Joe. And you, if we ever publish this video, there it is right there. Beautiful. Uh, you want to talk about them a little bit? Sure. Yeah. Shenandoah Joe Coffee has been making coffee for many, many years. They're based out of Charlottesville, Virginia. And oh. I'll tell you what. Their coffee is amazing because Dave Fafara, who buys all the beans, roasts all the beans, he is a master roaster and he actually knows the fields where these beans come from. So when you buy directly from them, you're not only supporting a great local business in that area, but you're also supporting directly those farmers and growers. And he's been doing this forever. It's not a new thing for him. It's not just this right. new fair trade thing that's come about in the last 10 years. He's done this forever because he believes in a quality product and they, they support Renegade Atlas. So we ask for you to support them. Order two pounds of Renegade Roast or perhaps the Brazilian Primavera. That's Matt and I, that's our favorite. Yeah, it's delicious. And we're actually going to ask yeah. for that to become the new yeah. Renegade Roast. <laughs> um, just rename it. Yeah. Um, but if you would be willing to do that, people, I'd sure appreciate it. Uh, that's how we're able to continue doing this. And it, it does support us a whole lot. Yep. Yep. Love those guys. Jamie, I noticed that you perked up when he mentioned Charlottesville. What's your, talk about your connection there real quick. Oh, yeah, we have family in Charlottesville. Um, we're big UVA family. D Donna's University of Virginia, Charlottesville. And so Donna's dad went there. Her brothers went there. We, we're there. We, we go there all the time. Yep. Love that place. I'm going to order that because I didn't. I love Charlottesville. So it's yeah. got to be awesome. It is. It's great. Um, yeah. Yeah. Having lived in Charlottesville for many years as a college student and then having my practice there, I can vouch for it. Oh, yeah, oh you cool. Go, you Are you a UVA right? person? Wahoo wah. Go who's yeah. go. Oh, no. oh, <laughs> who knew? I didn't even know that. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. So Jamie, um, 
this has been uh, this has been awesome. I think we're gonna probably wrap it up. But would you talk a little bit about the work you're currently doing and how you know how people can find you, how they can get a hold of you if they want to, that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, I'm super excited about our newest um, project that we're working on. So we're working really hard in um, taking taking the kingdom into the world that doesn't know the kingdom and, and uh, um, figuring out language that allows people that may have baggage from a negative church experience or Christian experience in their life and um, using language that more like probably what Jesus would use or, or even the Apostle Paul would use m more than our Christian terminology and, um, and sharing that with people. I've just had a great time, especially in this time, being in these um, social media groups. I just spent three days with a group of people that two of them really are, have a serious problem with the evangelical church. And we just had this beautiful time of listening to love speak to us about mm -hmm. what we're afraid of and about identity and them emailing me the, I, the names that they hear and how moved they are by the willingness of divine love that's other than them to speak to them in their fears. It's my favorite thing. So that's, that's at identitymethod.com is that um, website for that. And then our uh, more traditional site is identityexchange.com. So either one of those, I'm very excited about that. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you very much for joining us, Jamie. Hopefully in the future, one day we can have you back on as a guest and continue this conversation under uh, different world circumstances, perhaps. Yeah, um, yes. Uh, thank you so much for listening, everybody. If you have questions, you can direct them to guide at therenegadeatlas.com or you can find us online, therenegadeatlas.com. Find us on Spotify, um, iTunes, you know, for... Yeah, I think it automatically goes to Google. Yeah, so you can find yeah. it all those Apple. places. And please do share this podcast with as many people as you can. Um, Matt and I have both been thinking and praying a lot about this, and we, we would like to see a tenfold increase in the next few months on this. And that's not yeah. asking too much with the quality of guests that we've had on and the content that's being produced. I believe it's divinely inspired, and I, I'm just so thankful for it. So again, thank you, Jamie, for being part of this. Matt, yeah. great to see you today. Hey, you too. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, everybody. Have a beautiful day. Bye-bye. <laughs>